Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. You're listening to In the Dirt. Hello, Muskoka. This is In the Dirt podcast on Hunter's Bay Radio with Laura Thomas. On this program, we will get into the weeds about gardening in Muskoka, sharing stories and tips from my experience as well as other landscape professionals. On the show, we will also dig into the relationship our gardens have with Muskoka's surrounding landscapes, as well as how our gardens support wildlife and biodiversity. So let's dig in. So on today's episode, I really wanted to kind of dive into holiday plants, um, you know, why we have them, why we feel the urge to kind of adorn our homes and offices every Easter with lilies, you know, as soon as the first leaf falls or drops in fall, um, we rush to the stores and buy mums for Thanksgiving um, and come Christmas time. We're out there buying poinsettias in droves. I uh, was at a few big box stores in the last few days. And, you know, there's just racks upon racks and racks of these plants. And I wondered, where did they come from? Like, what is that connection that we have with Christmas or even, you know, winter holiday season and the poinsettia plant? Um, You know, whether or not you love the plant... Uh, personally, to be honest, I don't, and I don't know. So I think there's a couple reasons, but I feel like, um, my general disdain for this plant kind of comes from all things because all my disdain generally for all things being mass produced and consumed. Um, you know, this plant typically adorns our homes for about a week, maybe two, and then we chuck it out, maybe gets composted. Um, We don't keep them around for a really long time. And they're also, I think, you know, another reason why I'm not a big fan is that I find them to be really finicky. They don't do well in Canadian homes. Um, So again, they're really treated as being this disposable plant. Even though they're not, they're, you know, a a small tree almost, so they'll last for several years. But in order to do that, it's quite a bit of work, which we'll get into later. Um, And I remember, you know, throughout university working at several um, garden centers. And specifically, I remember working in Owen Sound at Christmas time. And, you know, the trucks would come with the poinsettias. And all the staff would just like anxiously rush to try to get them in into the greenhouse um, really quickly and not having the door left open because you couldn't have drafts and um, you didn't want them to get cold because they're so um, temperamental if, you know, they get hit by a little bit of cold. That's why they come with those, you know, plastic sleeves up the sides. Um, So we'd always lose them the next day. There'd always be a few that would have been left in a cold draft too long and they would have wilted. And as anyone knows that's ever had to care for a poinsettia is that they don't offer a lot of uh, wiggle room. Like if you, if once it wilts, it's too late, (laughs) unfortunately, like there's no coming back. 
And um, even if you do kind of protect them from that travel from the truck, from the store into the car or something, that, uh, you know, if you miss a day or two with watering them and the pot dries out and they wilt or, God forbid, lose a leaf, um, that's it. They're done. You know, like it's not like some of our hardy, really great house plants that are a bit more forgiving. To me, a poinsettia is the least forgiving house plant, which is maybe why I don't like it. But despite this, despite my personal feelings towards this plant, it is and has become the highest selling potted plant in the United States and likely Canada. So in according in 2013, um, there was actually over 34 million poinsettias sold um, just in one year. So that's kind of like an annual thing. So by 2021, I can imagine those numbers are way larger. And um, according to the USDA Floriculture Statistics Report, um, it actually accounts for one quarter of sales of all flowering potted plants. That's a lot. <laughs> and so and to put that in terms of other plants, second is our Easter lily. Um, like again, we go out in droves and buy tons and tons of them come Easter time. And so Easter lilies, um, every spring, there's $22 million in sales in the U.S. Comparison to the poinsettia at $144 million. So people love their poinsettias, despite them being the most unforgiving houseplant, in my opinion. And uh, in case you're wondering, you know, Laura, what's the third? Like, you know, we have number one, number two. So the third most um, popular potted plant is the orchid um so that kind of explains like you know where these plants are right now um you know they're they're everywhere i guess especially this time of year but like where did they come from why are they the most popular potted plant in north america um, and to kind of answer that, you kind of have to look back a little bit and say, like, well, where did they come from originally? So these plants are native to the rocky canyons of Mexico, Gua uh, Guatemala. Um, and while we know them as being kind of like small indoor house plants, um, they actually grow to be quite large woody shrubs, almost like small trees. In the wild, they can get about 10 to 12 feet tall. I remember um, being in Australia, um, you know, a decade ago or so, and seeing someone had their laneway, their driveway was hedged with these, with poinsettias, and the uh, hedge was about five feet tall by maybe like two to three feet. And that was the first time I remember just thinking, what is that? And realizing what it was. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's a house plant. And for anyone that travels, as a gardener, it is always kind of exciting to see what houseplants kind of out in the wild or like out, you know, outside living their living their best life. Um, another example is like a houseplant that we have in Canada, Agapanthus. Um, it's not a very common one. I have it in my house. Um, I think the common name is like an African lily. And when we lived in Australia and, and South Australia, it's everywhere in everyone's garden. It's the equivalent in, to me is kind of like a hosta. It's this easy to grow, gets a little purple flower on it. 
Um, but yeah, it, for us, it's a house plant. So anyway, that's a bit of a side tangent, but they, it's kind of neat to see, you know, these plants growing um, in the wild and in Mexico and where they grow ori- um, originally, they're almost considered a bit of a, a weedy plant. They're very common. And so, you know, come winter time, they would, the leaves would turn this vibrant red. And so they would cut the leaves and decorate their homes with them during like winter celebrations, like winter solstice. Um, there's a lot of like pagan traditions throughout times around the, this time of year. So it became quite common to decorate um, homes with these red leaves. And around the 1600s, as Christianity came to Mexico, um, there's records of like Franciscan priests kind of adorning nativity scenes with these leaves. Um, so that's kind of like the back history of, you know, how that connection of a poinsettia came into being with like winter celebrations. And so we kind of travel ahead a few hundred years into the 1800s and the very first U.S. ambassador to Mexico was a gentleman called Joel Roberts Poinsett. And you'll probably see where I'm going with this by his last name. Um, So in 1825, he, you know, while visiting Mexico, he kind of became really enchanted with these um, plants and sent some of them home to South Carolina. And then as an avid botanist, was propagating them, sharing them with friends, other gardeners. And over several years, eventually these plants reached a uh, nurseryman by the name of Robert Buist. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, and then Robert Buist is attributed as being like the first person to sell the plant in the United States. And by 1833, the plant was given the common name poinsettia, obviously for the namesake of Joel Poinsett. Um, and in the States, they actually have a national, uh, poinsettia day on December 12th, which is the commemoration of the day Joel Poinsett died. So that's kind of how um, poinsettias came to North America and how they got intertwined into this Christmas holiday celebration. Um, and I guess, you know, still I look at them and I think, why though? <laughs> They're still everywhere. Um, but from like a nursery grower's perspective, they can be quite easy to grow and propagate, you know, and despite it um, being finicky in our homes, um, you know, in a controlled setting where you're being able to control the light and the temperature, um, they propagate very easily because, you know, as I said earlier in their native region, they're almost like considered a little bit weedy um, that they'll grow pretty much wherever they want. And additionally, other than being easy to grow, they're easy to kind of cultivate and hybridize and manipulate so that they can get different colors. You can buy ones with like white speckles, purple ones, ones that are really deep, rich colors, white ones, green ones. So you have a lot of variety um, and that they can be patented and and, uh, profitable that way. So that's kind of, you know, the history of them and, um, you know, why they're everywhere here. Um, and it, it is kind of nice to know that we do actually have growers in Ontario that do um, 
obviously grow them and sell them, which is kind of nice. So when you are buying your poinsettia, you can probably check to see if it's been Ontario grown. Um, but we are um, going to take a short break now to hear from some of our great uh, sponsors. And we'll be right back. Buy Muskoka for Muskoka. Your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine. The Bay 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Hello, and welcome back to In the Dirt, a gardening show that takes a more natural approach on why and how we garden in the 21st century. So today we're talking about holiday plants and more so specifically um, poinsettias. So before the break, I got into the history, the folklore, a little bit of where they come from and why they are everywhere this time of year. And uh, now, as a lot of you know, I like to really kind of debunk um, myths on this show. There's so many with when it comes to gardening and plants. Um, so my little bit of flim flam for today's episode is um, the idea, the pervasive idea that poinsettias are toxic or poisonous. And although they are um, mildly um, poisonous, a more of an irritant really, um, according to the Mayo Clinic, poinsettia plants are actually considered to be less toxic than once believed. Um, In most cases, exposure will cause kind of just mild discomfort with a rash, little bit itchy. If it is ingested um, in larger amounts, you might get a stomach ache or vomiting. Um, like don't rub your eyes if you um, accidentally like break the stem and get the sap on your fingers. So watch out for that. And there are some people that are actually allergic or more sensitive to poinsettias than others. And a kind of a fun fact, I don't know, it was interesting to me was that people that have a latex allergy, um, so mom, I know you're probably listening, maybe you're the only one listening, my mom has a latex allergy, which I guess is really common, um, that you're more allergic to poinsettia plants um, because they share several proteins. And also, if you know, you're allergic to avocados, bananas, chestnuts, kiwis, passion fruits, um, you might also have a greater chance of being allergic to um, poinsettias. So that's kind of a neat thing to check to, to learn from. Um, and then again, just kind of reiterate, um, you know, how it's more of an irritant, even with some of our fur babies. Um, it's the same thing. So, and what's always important to note that animals, we should give them more credit than we often do. I know some of us, as much as we love our cats and dogs, we do have some of the ones that are not given the greatest intelligence and will eat more of a plant than it should. Um, But because, like I said, it's an irritant and it causes like the mouth parts and the esophagus to kind of get really itchy, typically what they find um, is that a dog or cat's not going to eat more than like a leaf or so. They're not going to ingest a whole plant because it's so discomfort, um, because it's so distasteful and also it doesn't feel good. It'll cause like a tingling sensation on their on their lips. Um, so I don't think we need to be so worried, I guess, is my point. So that's my little bit of flim flam for this episode. And um, 
Now, you know, we talked a lot about where I mentioned before the break um, that they can be very unforgiving plants. They're finicky that once they get a little bit of a breeze, like a cold breeze, they can wilt and drop leaves. Um, so some tips to keep your poinsettias looking happy and lush all Christmas, holiday season long. Um, essentially, two main pieces of advice. Avoid any hot or cold drafts. Um, you really want to keep the soil kind of moist, but not too soggy, in a room with sufficient natural light. It does need to have a, a well-lit room. Um, room temperature, ideally around 15 to 21 degrees. And uh, water the soil when the water the soil when it begins to dry. So don't wait until it's already dry because it might be too late. Um, that's the frustrating part is that it's not forgiving. Um, so kind of above all, protect it from exposure to wind. So if you're buying it from the store, um, you know, try to maybe like preheat the car up, have someone pick you up at the door so you're not having to walk out to the parking lot with it. Um, and make sure that you leave the plastic protective little sheath up to keep it a little cozier. Um, but, and also when it's, you know, property, properly cared for, a poinsettia can usually outlast your holiday season. So there are people that do keep them year after year. And uh, I've always, when I worked in garden centers, people would often ask, like, you know, how do I get it to rebloom? Um, turn red, essentially get the leaves to turn red. Um, can I keep it? And we'd always give them a, a, a little leaflet to show them what they would have to do. And it made me think, I wonder how long you can keep it. Um, you know, so I, I did a little Google research and I found this really fun article. Um, well, I say fun. Now I feel bad for saying that because it's a little sad. But in 2016, the CBC reported on a Halifax man that kept a poinsettia alive for 19 years. That's really impressive. I can't keep it alive. I think I have green thumbs. They're finicky. 19 years. That's a lot. Anyway, so this man, Frankie Allison, his wife won it uh, Christmas Eve in 1996 through a call-in radio contest. Unfortunately, though, so this is the sad part, is that three days later... She died suddenly of a heart attack. Um, and what um, her husband, so Frankie, often says is that he feels like it's her spirit that is keeping this plant alive for so long. And in this article, it shows pictures of this poinsettia that is so healthy. <laughs> like, it's impressive. It's, uh, it was measured at being over a meter and a half tall, three and a half meters around, weighing over 100 pounds. And it was red. It wasn't like gangly or straggly. Like it was really fantastic looking. Um, so they did ask, like, you know, what do you do to take care of it? And he said he doesn't do much. He just makes sure that he waters it twice a week and fertilizes it regularly. Um, so perhaps there is hope for us out there, you know, those with mildly green thumbs to keep our poinsettias alive. Um, so if that is you, I do know that um, in order to get that red color, so typically the leaves are green and then they turn red in the winter, that um, you have to kind of 
hide it from light a little. So this process, it's actually called photoperiodism. Um, and it's a process, it's kind of in a response to certain amounts of light or really a lack thereof. And it turns that color of leaf from green to red. Um, so they need daylight no more than 10 hours a day, kind of around October 1st. Um, and you'll need to place plants in a darkened room um, with no lights. And then bring it back out, though. So I do remember sometimes people would often say, oh, I put it in the closet for eight weeks and it died. <laughs> it has to come out. So it needs dark and light. So it just needs to be tricked into thinking that it's um, going to be, you know, night uh, for about, you know, 14 hours, I guess, um, which in Canada we do have, but thanks to electricity and artificial light, more than likely our uh, living spaces are lit for a lot longer than what's happening outdoors. So you can put them in a closet. You can even just put a box over them if they're smaller. And um, there's actually a fella, Dr. Leonard Perry. Uh, he's an extension of Professor Emeritus at the University of Vermont. Um, he authored Caring for Your Poinsettia Year-Round. And he developed this really easy-to-follow uh, care calendar based on the holidays of the year. So come New Year's, what you should do. Come Memorial Day or Victoria Day for us in Canada. Um, what should what you're supposed to do. And um, there's Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Father's Day. No Mother's Day, which I thought was nice. He gave mothers a day off, um, which, you know, if you're listening, Dr. Leonard Perry, as a mom, I appreciate that. So... Again, if you're interested, um, it is caring for your poinsettia year-round. And he gives kind of step-by-step instructions about what you should be doing for it to make sure that it stays healthy and happy, when you should prune it, when should you should move it out of the light, into the light, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of poinsettias in a nutshell. And I just wanted to kind of um, touch upon, you know, some of the Christmas or holiday plants that we have in Muskoka um, because there are a lot. We do have a rich tradition of really um, iconic holiday plants that grow here. Um, most notably is the winterberry. So it's our native holly. Um, it isn't evergreen, so it, it does lose its leaves, but what you will have noticed it maybe through um, you know, traveling around into wetter areas, wet ditches, shorelines, and you see um, kind of like a tall shrub with red berries, small little red berries that go up the branches. Um, and that's quite popular in um, holiday decor. Uh, wintergreen is another kind of evergreen ground cover. It has, you know, the wintergreen taste, so you can bite into the leaf and it tastes like toothpaste. Christmas ferns, um, white birch, paper birch, you know, that's kind of now in every holiday urn. Um, twigs of red osier dogwood. I've also seen um, willow, like the re uh, yellow willow twigs in uh, um, urns as well. It's quite pretty. Um, and so it's nice to kind of incorporate some of that native landscape into our holiday traditions, I think, as long as we're harvesting sustainably. Um, I think it can be quite nice and it brings our connection to the larger landscape and our environment a little closer, a little bit more special. 
Um, and what's kind of neat if you do cut from, a, say, a red osier or a willow is that if you put it in water, it often will root and leaf out. So you can kind of replant it and make sure that it's more of a sustainable harvest, which is really neat. So yeah, I'd love to, you know, chat about this more and find out what everyone's Christmas kind of traditions are when it comes to plants. Um, but this is kind of all the time that we have now. So thank you so much for listening. This is Laura Thomas with In the Dirt on Hunter's Bay Radio. Hunter's Bay Radio.